Welcome to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey who are ready to lead healthier and happier lives and improve their emotional well-being. My name is Cindy McMillan. In this season of the podcast, I'm inviting you to lean into well-being. Well-being takes into account the entire person, body, mind, and spirit. It's feeling good and functioning well. It's experiencing positive emotions such as contentment and gratitude. And it's developing your potential, having a sense of purpose, and experiencing close relationships. In this episode, we are chatting about grief and how it shows up in the adoption journey. And my guest is Kim Noweth. Kim is a grief recovery specialist working with post-adoption grief and other trauma-related issues that prevent people from moving forward in life and pursuing their dreams. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you for being here. And I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Me too, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me today. So I love to start off with my favorite question, and that is, What does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in the work that you do? Boy, that's a loaded question. Uh, I see that present very much so in my personal life and also very much so on the adoption journey. Uh, I think for me, the seasons of life represent the constant change that's always present on that journey. You know, some of that change is behind the scenes and some of it's in the spotlight. And I guess I kind of see it like a a birth, a death, and a rebirth cycle that's always going on and happening. Uh, I'm sure you know you'll experience great joy one minute, and then another, you know, you can be brought to your knees in sorrow. And it's not that life has it out for you. It's just, you know, how life shows up and how things go and, and the fact that these seasons and patterns are always at play. Uh, You know, I'm noticing like, wow, just like they're happening in nature, I'm learning how to slow down my response rate to those changes and kind of stand in awe of what's coming next. Uh, you know, so much of, of it can be about resisting. And I think, uh, you know, part of my journey was learning, you know, that I need to, you know, just as it would be silly to think of trees in nature resisting change, uh, it's also silly for me to, you know, have that idea of resisting the change that's a very necessary part of my growth and evolution you know as a person or I guess I should even say as a as a soul having a human experience Um, I needed though to learn first how to embrace the new seasons and especially how to get curious around what was trying to happen next so that I can approach it with more of a relaxed and curious way of being uh, I guess my old mode of operation was I would react versus respond. You know, I would react to what was happening as a problem that needed to be solved. And I'd kind of get overwhelmed by the obstacle and spiral into that pit of, you know, why is life always giving me these extraordinary challenges? Uh, and I noticed that the energy that was produced when I was that way was really like overwhelm and heaviness and a lot of depression and anxiety. And often I would feel stuck and trapped, you know, like I was kind of caught. And then my new way of operation now is to kind of get curious about it and approach the change of seasons with like a childlike wonder of what really wants to happen here. 
And if I think of it as, hmm, you know, like what what could be really awesome instead of like, wow, what do we go, you know, where are we going next? Uh, and, and being kind of frustrated and overwhelmed by that, I feel like my way of being is a lot lighter and the energy moves through me rather than it being stuck within me. So that's been kind of a journey for me in general, navigating the seasons. You know, I think navigating those different seasons, you know, the the ebbs and flows of the ups and downs, it, it can be um, challenging, but there is so much to learn. And I love, Kim, that you use the word curiosity, curious, because I think that makes those seasons as we encounter them so much easier. I would be honored if you told us your adoption story. Absolutely. Uh, many years ago, you know, uh, when I was a child, uh, as we know, there were seasons in life happening even then. There was this season, you know, of childhood. And I think that present in our childhood, many of us carry grief that transfers into the rest of our life. And it's super important that we deal with that. Uh, and then there's other disruptive experiences in our past that if we're not able to work through them, I think they really have the ability to overshadow our future. And one of those experiences for me was, was the adoption story. Uh, when I was 15, I got pregnant. And at that time, it wasn't uh, you know glamorous to be pregnant. We didn't have the shows on TV like we do today of teen mom and there wasn't a whole lot of awareness even around it. Uh, most of the people that I knew either had gotten an abortion or, you know, they went on to maybe be able to, to be a single parent. Uh, for me, that wasn't an option. There was some abuse present in my home and, uh, you know, it just wasn't a safe environment to raise a child. So here at first, I was planning on parenting. You know, my partner and I thought that we were able to do this and uh, you know, that was my original plan. And uh, one of the days, something that was very, very monumental in my life was when I came home from school one day and I found that uh, my dad was outside and very rarely was he home. And what had happened was my mom was having a nervous breakdown. Uh, the idea of her having to look after another child was really overwhelming for her. And I remember in that moment, I had known that one of the things she really wanted for me was to go to a home for unwed mothers. But that was something that I didn't want to do. You know, I felt like she was trying to hide me in the situation. And of course, I was scared. But in that moment, uh, I knew that would help her. So I promised her that I would do that, that I would go to the home for moms and, you know, try to get some help through this situation apart from what I you know, was currently aware of. And that's when, you know, for the very first time in my life, I came into touch with adoption and what it was. You know, I met with the caseworker each week. And I think that in all honesty, when I started the journey, I thought adoption was selfish. But as I met with this caseworker each week, she would ask me some really hard questions. And some of those questions caused me to have to really think about things that I wasn't really willing to be in reality about at that time, or I really was young, so I don't even know if I had the capacity for that. Uh, but she had asked me, you know, how do you plan on raising a child? And, you know, went through all the things with me. 
And in those moments, I began to realize that, you know, adoption was not a selfish choice, but in a sense, I was the one being selfish by wanting to avoid the pain and the separation in my life and, you know, offering my child opportunities that I could not give him at the time was a very unselfish choice. So that was probably what uh, was the first timing that I came to deciding that adoption was something I was going to explore. And lo and behold, uh, adoption was a lot different back then. Uh, adoptions were primarily closed, so we didn't have experiences where we could, uh, you know, perhaps look at profiles or do the things that people are able to do today in order to, you know, find a family that they're interested in. And that was something for me that, uh, you know, I was given two typed up pieces of paper. You know, here you go. And I uh, had to navigate that choice through that. Uh, I did pick a, a family. I picked one that had adopted a child. I thought it would be nice for my child to be raised with another child that was adopted as well. And so uh, I remember when I just turned 16 and they felt for me that having a cesarean would be better. Uh, so I was, that was the route that we went and I was able to stay in the hospital for six days instead of the normal two or three. And it was then that I was able to bond with my son. And that was really hard because I wanted to bond with him, but I also knew that it was going to be very painful when we had to part ways. And today I look back and I'm ever so grateful that I, I took that experience. But I can still remember the day that my social worker came and she came to bring my son to his new family. And I had dressed him in a nice little blue outfit. And I remember the nurses came in my room and they got really excited and they were like, oh, Kim, did you decide to keep your son? And I was like, oh, overwhelmed with so much grief. And I said, no, I just wanted to, you know, put him in this outfit and prepare him for his next journey. So that was really heavy. And uh, I remember going in the room and seeing those doors in the hospital close and knowing that that was probably the last time that, you know, maybe I would see my son. And as life does, life went on. Uh, one of the things I was allowed to do, though, was I was allowed to send a letter with him. And at 15, we didn't have photocopiers. So I wrote him a letter and I kept a copy of it for myself. And uh, always hoping that maybe one day he would read that letter and know that if he ever wanted to look for me, I, was, I would be ever so grateful to be able to you know, meet with him again. Uh, life went on. I had ch lots of children and experienced lots of things. Uh, never heard anything. Remembering when he turned 18, I was super hopeful. Uh, my children always knew that they had a brother out there, but that was pretty much all the information they knew. And they always saw that on my son's birthday, I would be kind of down. And, you know, that was the extent of the conversation, though. Uh, I had kind of told them my story, but we never really talked about it much. So here, uh, all these years later, when, like I mentioned, my son was 18 and I didn't hear from him, I wondered, you know, do boys look for their moms? And, you know, I had all these stories associated with him finding me, but I still remained very hopeful. And one day I got a phone call and someone asked for me by my maiden name. And at first I thought, ooh, that's odd. You know, I haven't really had anyone ever associate me with my maiden name. 
So I thought maybe it was a bill collector, you know, and I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to, you know, have this phone call. Uh, but the person called back and said, are you Kim Noweth? Did you place a, a little boy with dark blue eyes and a little blue outfit on such and such a day for adoption? And, whew, you know, I dropped the phone and my heart was pounding. And, you know, this was probably the very first time in all these years that I had come in association with this, you know, with the possibility of, of meeting my child again. So we went through a, a timing where, you know, she's like, I can give you information. And, you know, if you'd like to get to know each other. And this was when the internet was pretty new. So I was excited. I was like, wow, you know, what does he look like? I had all of these thoughts and these questions about him. And you also wonder, you know, you wonder if you're a match, you don't know for sure. There's a lot of stories out there of people who had, you know, wished that that was their parent only to find out that it wasn't, you know, that they, that that, that wasn't a match. So here we navigated the, the relationship slowly. Uh, but one of the things back in my mind was I knew about this letter and I knew that my son would know, you know, if we were a match by that letter. So I, I opened up the conversation about that. And I typed the first letter in a message to my son. And he typed the second line to that letter back to me. And that was an incredibly, incredibly special moment because here we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were matched. Uh, and as fate would have it, he was never actually given the letter. He discovered it when he was a teenager and he photocopied it and he put it back, always wondering one day, you know, if he was ready for this journey. Uh, so, as we began to talk with one another, we decided that it was time to meet. And I got on an airplane by myself and flew across, uh, all the way across the world to California. And uh, that was a big journey for me. And the very first time I laid my eyes on my son, it was as if a piece of my soul uh, came back to me. It was an incredible, incredible experience. Uh, we sat together had some coffee and just talked. And what was most incredible was realizing that even after all these years of separation, there was still a huge part of me in him. And so much of, of us is similar. Uh, there's only, you know, 15 or so years between us. So today, you know, we've navigated a very complex relationship and we have a an incredibly beautiful relationship, but part of that relationship came with being willing to be open to a lot of the grief and the reality of the adoption journey. Uh, and I think that that key has been very present through our, our whole, you know, relationship today. Kim, thank you so much for sharing your story. Honestly, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> Thank you. you know, the, the, the story itself and then the the happy ending. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And that's exactly what adoption is. And, and almost, you know, there's a real reality to grief in the same way. You know, adoption has a lot of joy and it has a lot of sorrow. And we have to be willing to embrace both parts. You know, we have so many people in their uneducation think that adoption is a win win. You know, on one hand, we have this couple that really desires to parent, and we have this woman who is unable to parent. 
So we assume that what a great union, you know, here takes place. And we forget that any type of loss, you know, also involves grief. And grief is a very, very natural response to loss. But sometimes we're afraid of grief and, and we cover the grief. And I, I also believe grief is layers, you know, and sometimes when we heal one layer, there's still more layers that need to be healed. And that's very true in, in life and in the adoption journey as well. You know, when I knew that I wanted to talk about this topic and I had reached out to you and I started doing, you know, research on post-adoption grief because I hadn't really heard that term before because I don't think society really understands the psychological effects on a birth mother when she places a child up for, for adoption. Can you talk about that a little bit in regards to maybe your personal story, but also into the work that you do? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest components in the adoption journey is what is called disenfranchised grief. And that's almost a grief that has no closure, if I can simplify it in that way. You know, when a woman has a baby in normal circumstances, we have a shower. You know, we're excited. There's a lot of joy. Um, and, and also, if, if we can flip it on, if a woman loses a child, you know, there's a lot of grief and there's usually a public closure, like a funeral. But when a woman places a child for adoption, it's almost like everything on the inside of her life changes, but everything on the outside is still the same. Uh, I remember coming home from the hospital and sitting in my bedroom and looking around and being like, wow, you know, everything looked the same as prior to me leaving and going to the home for, you know, unwed moms. But I was a completely different person as a result of the experience that I've been through. And I remember I went to a, the only support group that was available out there was through the adoption agency. And I remember one of the things the speaker said was time will heal all wounds. And I thought, wow, that's so insensitive. Time is never, ever going to re, you know, be able to heal the pain that I was feeling. And as people do when, you know, when they hear you grieving, many times people are afraid to talk to you about it. They don't want you to hurt more. So there was not really anybody that I had to speak to about it. Even my mom, you know, she didn't know how to deal with it. She was carrying her own guilt around not being able to maybe be there for me. And I didn't share this with a lot of people because they, they're, they're thinking about someone who had a child in place. Even today, oftentimes is something around the nature of, wow, I could never give up my child. And what they don't realize is if they were given the exact circumstances that a woman is given when she has herself or when she herself is in that position, you know, her support circles are usually very, very uh, narrow. She usually does not have a lot of support. Her circumstances are usually out of, you know, her control or and very inconducive to the stability that a child needs. And a, a a decision needs to be made. You know, she can't stop the clock here and say, okay, you know, I'm going to get my life together so that I can raise a child. She has to make a decision at that time. And I also think that people don't realize that that decision comes in different ways. You know, there's moms that are in choice. 
They know that maybe due to mental health or to life circumstances, adoption is the best decision. So they might choose that route. Then there's others who maybe due to addiction or to circumstances beyond their control, their life is not in a good place. And sometimes, you know, Child Protective Services or another uh, organization will step in and they'll remove the child, you know, from her because she's not raising that child in a, a safe environment. Uh, other times people think it's a great idea to place a child within their own family. And we call that like a kinship adoption. And boy, that's a real complex one because sometimes that mom is expected to pretend like she's the aunt and her identity is not revealed. And she has to show up at family events and holidays and see her child and yet hold on to the secret. And I think that's a really good word to capitalize adoption is there's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of shame that's at play behind the scenes that we're not always able or willing to work with. You know, we just stuff it down and we think that, you know, we'll, we can just go on with life and, and it'll be okay, but it's not. You know, our cells even hold on to that. And unless we're willing to look at it for what it really is, and unless we're willing to sit with it, you know, as a really good term, and, and allow it to have its way instead of running from it or uh, pushing it down, it can never really heal. Because for everyone, you know, the adoptive couple is dealing with infertility and, and things before they even decided to adopt. They go into this experience not knowing how they're going to respond because there's no way to really know how someone is gonna respond until they themselves are in it and going through it. You know, we can predict certain things, but we can't predict everything. And this is one of the biggest reasons why I, you know, started my journey around wanting moms who place to get the help that they need. Often they're forgotten. You know, the focus should be and is on the child, but we forget that there's a woman out there who no longer has this child that she carried for nine months. You know, this child was a huge part of her. And then one day that child is no more and, and there's nothing to really commemorate that. And she has to keep going because life just keeps pushing you through the cycles. And often it's, it's years later, especially for the moms that placed in the closed adoption era, when the child comes back, that that's when this opens up again. And boy, do we find that all that stuff that we didn't deal with comes up again. And even for me, as I navigated the season of divorce in my life, as I navigated even just recently the season of empty nesting, I found that that 15-year-old girl who had a lot of emotion and, and stuff that she didn't deal with uh, was still present and still needed a lot of healing. And as I worked on one layer, another layer would emerge. And I wanted to run from it because it was really overwhelming. And what it required was for me to get comfortable with sitting with the uncomfortable. You know, the stuff that we want to go away because it hurts and we want to rush through it because it feels messy. That's the stuff that we have to be brave enough to encounter because that's where real healing from grief you know, starts. 
I had a mentor one time, you use the word secret, and I had a mentor one time who would say, you know, secrets kill. Mm. Because when we hold on to those secrets, it, it almost like it, I'm going to use the word festers inside of us because we're not healing it. We're not, you know, doing our work, our inner work yeah. to um, take care of our emotional health. And the podcast, almost every episode, I do talk about self-care because I think it's so important. And if we could talk about emotional self-care, maybe which, when you're at a place of a reunion, like, you, like your, your son reaching out to you, what would you say are, are just three or four tips for that emotional self-care when you're at this really vulnerable spot? Yeah, I think one of the biggest is, is being willing to realize, especially in the adoption journey, that you have to do your own healing. It's so important for both the mom and the adoptee to do their own healing, to be able to come together and be human, but also to recognize that we can't fix this for each other at the level that, you know, the depth of the level that it is. You know, moms carry a lot of shame. So that has to be really dealt with of coming to a place of accepting that at the time a choice needed to be made, they made the best choice given the circumstances that they had. And that self-forgiveness is vital. And I think another real component is the journey to learning to trust yourself again. You know, adoption is a result of really not having a lot of choice available. And we can tend as adults to carry that feeling of lack of choice with us. It's really important, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's adoption, whether it's other traumas, that we realize that we're not in the same circumstances today. And that there's a lot more resource available to us today than maybe was present back then. And being willing to forgive ourselves for the things that we did. You know, oftentimes we're doing the best we can at the time. And we have to give ourselves the grace that that's very true, especially in times of trauma. And one of the biggest parts of the journey for me, especially in this recognition, was realizing that I don't always have to survive today and that I'm not stuck. Because when we feel that survival and stuckness, we tend to settle. And when we settle, we miss out on so much of what life has for us next. And I think that is a huge part of of the journey that I had to go on, was learning how to love myself, learning how to forgive myself and others, and recognizing that forgiveness isn't about letting myself or others off the hook, as much as it's choosing to no longer allow the pain that's associated with those events to hurt me today. And boundaries, I think boundaries is huge. Being willing to recognize that it's okay to set boundaries in the adoption journey. You know, it's okay to say as you navigate things, you know, to realize that first of all, this is new. You're not supposed to know what to do. And as circumstances come up for all of us in life, You know, life is its own best teacher. And the best way to deal with the uncertainty and the things that we don't know how to deal with is to be willing to pull up a chair and say, you know, have a seat. I don't know how to deal with this either, but let's get comfortable with just the uncertainty of it. And let's be willing to just sit with it and not judge it, but just to be curious about it 
you know, about what it's opening up, what feelings it's trying to uh, make aware or, or make us aware of, and, and even down to what's possibility here of, of what can happen next. So I think a big part of that self-care comes down to the journey that you have with yourself and, and your self-trust and intuition levels, you know, and, and establishing that. Because I think that's a growth that's always happening. You know, it's never done. We always have to continue to do that work. Thank you for sharing those tips with us. I think, you know, not only do they apply to the adoption journey, but to any kind of loss or grief that we may may be feeling, you know, I believe that self-compassion, you know, that self-compassion um, that we give ourselves is so important. And I and I heard someone say one time that that self-compassion is like having your number one fan with you at all times. I love it. And I, and I that just, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that imagery, you know, of, of having your, your fan, your best fan with you at all yeah. times. And I just wanted to mention one thing in your work that I think when, we spend time with someone else who have been through a painful experience that's similar to your own. I think there's something very magical and healing about that. That's so true. One of my uh, biggest tools, you know, coaching tools for me was realizing that there's other resource out there. You know, sometimes when we go through hard times, we stay to ourselves. And that was always a pattern for me. You know, if something was heavy or difficult, I would often, you know, just keep it within. And when we're willing to be vulnerable and and let it without and invite other people on the journey, we open ourselves up to so much more resource and possibility that we never knew existed apart from us. You know, we all have blind spots and spots that we can't see. And when we open that journey up to others, it's exciting because they can sometimes see what we can't see. And they can also give us a perspective that we might not have yet had. And perspective can change everything. You know, you, if we're able to look at things from another perspective, it changes our entire way of being. Yeah, absolutely, Kim. I, I agree with that 100%. And I just wanted to ask you, while you mentioned the word resources, do you have any book or podcast recommended recommendations for, okay, let's say in particular birth moms. Yes, I do. There's something that is a very uh, powerful tool, both to birth moms and adoptees. It's a podcast that's called Who Am I Really? And it's by a man named Damon Davis. So Who Am I Really by Damon Davis. And what I love about his perspective is he invites in conversations that allow especially a birth mom to hear stories of adoptees that aren't painfully personal because when we enter into the reunion journey we have to be willing to sit with the reality that our child experienced a lot of pain as a result of our choice and we can tend to blame ourselves and get lost in all of that and what this podcast does is it just allows both stories to be heard in a way that promotes healing because there's other podcasts out there that, you know, sometimes the adoption journey brings a lot of pain and the voices out there can be very stuck in that pain. 
And sometimes those are the loudest voices. But I think it's important not only to hear the pain, but also to realize that apart from the pain or in addition to the pain, there's healing and growth. And this podcast invites that. It allows those voices to be heard and those perspectives to be considered. And that's a resource that I recommend to all the moms that I work with. And I think it's a very valuable resource. Another one is Brene Brown. Uh, She speaks powerfully on shame and vulnerability. And a lot of my journey into the work that I do with the women that I work with comes from that. Being willing to be vulnerable, uh, being willing to go first. You know, in life and in the adoption journey, as a birth mom, we have to be willing to go first to model that vulnerability so that allows our child or it allows other people to feel safe and be willing to open up and do the healing work, which is very big. Uh, Vulnerability is a very big component of that healing work. Kim, I will put both of those resources um, in the show notes. And because I had not um, listened to that podcast, and that sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. Who am I really? Yes. Well, while we're talking about, you know, resources and everything, one of the things that I do want to ask you, because I do have friends who are adopted and one of the things they always want to know is why. So I I guess, I guess I just really wanted to ask you in your work, what are just a couple of the common questions that adoptees most want to know? Mm. You know, uh, part of what started me in my creation of the program that I created for women that have placed called the post-adoption journey was recognizing that we do need to do the healing work in order to answer some of these questions that are present for our adoptee. And the better that we can get in our own health, our own mental health, the, the, the more resource we can offer to our child. You know, every adoptee wants to know, first of all, that they're deeply loved and that they were thought of over the years. You know, I was shocked to have conversations with my son where he was surprised that I was, you know, thinking of him at the level that I was. And, you know, I have yet to meet a mom who doesn't have thoughts of her child. Even if she is in the worst of places, there is always the love that is present underneath. Whether there's addiction involved, there's always this wish that she could have been more for her child. And I think it's important for an adoptee to know that that there is a very big love at the foundation of placement, even though it feels and often plays out in more of an abandonment way. Uh, And I think it's vital for adoptees to be able to, to know, you know, even if it's not pretty, their life story. It's vital for them to look in the eyes of those who reflect their heritage, to know how their story began and how to see the love that was present despite the dysfunctionality. You know, they've gone to event after event and looked at cousins who didn't look like them, you know, wondered if if there was, you know, people out there that were more like them. And we deprive adoptees of this with all the secrecy that's involved. You know, how dare we withhold that information from someone about their past, about their beginning origins, You know, even again, even if it's not a 
a, a healthy story or a story that looks, you know, maybe if it's messy, it's still important that they know the truth, regardless of how hard that truth might be to hear. And again, I think love is an elixir. And if we're vulnerably willing to open up the conversation that, you know, that we have around adoption and the secrecy and, and expose all that, that love has the power to heal a whole multitude of issues. Uh, and, and that's a lot of the work that I do. You know, I help women to heal from all of the stages that happened in their life, both prior to the adoption and after the adoption. Uh, and that's the work that I do through my brand called Birth Moms Today and through the program that I created called The Post-Adoption Journey. And also, you know, recognizing that grief is present in other arenas uh, is what started me on the journey of Brave and Noble. Uh, the meaning of my name, Kim, is Brave and Noble. And that's where I do the trauma work for people who want to heal from past traumas and they want to step into the dreams that they have for today. So, you know, I, I, I feel like adoption can be an identity if we're not careful. And while I do a lot of work around the adoption journey, I also invite women and people into the journey that's after it. And that's the brave and noble journey that's required in life to heal, to grow, and to move on to what life has for us next, because this is a chapter, you know, and though it's a painful chapter, there's other chapters in the story. There's joy that's available to us once we're ready to really tap into the grief that has to heal first, because I, I believe that joy and grief can run parallel, that we need to be open and present to both and allow both fields to have a place in our life. Can you just go ahead while we're talking about, you know, the name of your program, can you talk about your social media and also your website? Sure. Uh, I can be found at kimnoweth.com. And also, you know, for the work that I do in the adoption community at birthmomstoday.com. And on the social media realm, you know, that's a place that exposed a lot of my trauma, you know, becoming visible, being willing to step into the visibility that's required to help other people grow is a journey in and of itself. And Birth Moms Today is the social media handle that I have for adoption. But the birth, uh, sorry, the Brave and Noble Circle is where I was willing to step into that vulnerability and willing to share what the journey looks like, the messy and the beautiful parts of the brave and noble journey, and being willing to share that and open up to others about what that looks like, even when it looks messy. You know, uh, a lot of the work that I do in the brave and noble circles is being willing to go first, you know, being willing to be vulnerable and to model what that looks like. And I do some of that on social media through the Brave and Noble Circles. And is that on Instagram or Facebook? That's both on Instagram and Facebook, but more on Instagram is where I do the uh, the video journey. And that was, that was again, a big com component in healing, being willing to be visible and share your story with others because there's so much power when we share our story. I found it not only heals us, but it heals other people at the same time. It has a hugely powerful component there. 
Thank you for all of that information. And again, I will make sure all of that is in the show notes. And the last question that I want to end with is I'm going to say, I'm going to change it a little bit, Kim. What would you thank your 16-year-old self for? Mm, That's a good one. I love that. I think I would thank her for always pursuing the brave and noble journey despite the changing seasons and for choosing to stay in the fight even when settling would have been easier and less painful. And it's something I regularly thank myself for because like the addict, I think we're always just one choice or one thought away from settling. And to me, settling is the enemy to all that life wants to open up for me. And I have to be willing to allow it. So I think that, you know, that is one of the biggest things that I thank her for is being willing to not settle and to keep pursuing the dream of, you know, more and and to keep loving despite all the pain that I experienced along the way. I have absolutely loved our conversation. I I really want you to know that. And I think that everything that you have talked about today, again, it just is kind of like a a ripple across not only the adoption journey, but across all the different types of loss that we experience, all those different seasons that we experience. So I appreciate you being here. Absolutely. And I'll just close with one thing. Uh, I often look at grief or navigating the grief and, and the seasons of life, like being in the ocean and being, you know, a surfer. You know, as you're learning to surf, sometimes the waves take you under. Sometimes you fall down. Sometimes you gasp for air, you know, and stick your head up. But even that gasp of air is enough to sustain you because as you keep getting back up and as you keep riding those waves, you get better and better at it. And I think that's the real key. The waves are always present, but it's how we surf them that really matters. You know, do we let them pull us under and take our breath away? Or do we let you know, ourselves learn how to navigate them by standing in the wave and riding it to the best of our ability. Ah, beautiful. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I truly appreciate it. I have partnered with doTERRA Essential Oils, and just one of the many reasons I'm so excited is because it's in total alignment with the podcast and the topics that I am passionate about. Topics that encompass the human experience, self-care, stress management, resiliency, grief, and our emotional health. And I love, love their uncompromising commitment to purity and being a company with a conscience. I truly feel this is a beautiful fit with my mission to serve and support women in every season of their life, beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. I'm also doing this for my overall well-being and want to share my journey with you as I rediscover the benefits of essential oils. Contact me to get started on your journey. My email is cindy at cynthiamacmillan.com. Thank you.